0: Our New Testament lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 1. Um, It's important to remember as we return to uh, Luke and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist that for nine months Luke had been silent. Our uh, sermon title this morning is from silence to song and uh, this song this praise this new song that he sings is a fruit of God's mighty work of salvation, which he has had time to meditate upon and reflect upon. And so I want to uh, look particularly at the song this morning, but I will uh, read from verse 57 uh, to the end of chapter 1. This is God's holy word. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the 8th day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zachariah after his father but his mother answered no he should be called John and they said to her none of your relatives is called by this name and they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is John and they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened And his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be from the hand of the Lord? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Join me now in our prayer of illumination. Our father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we have an outline in our bulletin. Our sermon title is From Silence to Song. Uh, we see uh, Zechariah, who is uh, transformed from a deaf mute. To a prophet filled with the Holy Spirit, um, it's interesting to think that for nine months he hadn't been able to speak. I've never been on a silent retreat. Um, I think if I'm quiet for about an hour, that's that's pretty remarkable. Maybe when I'm in a library supposedly working, um, but so I thought, uh, thinking about a silent retreat, one of the things I stumbled upon is this little this little data point that the average. Person, um, adult person, I don't know, maybe some of our kids speak more or less than this, speaks 14,000 words a day. That's a lot of words. Um, But of course, men and women are different. And uh, so there's a little bit of diversity here. The average adult male speaks about 7,000 words a day. Which means, yeah, some some of you are quick at math. The average adult female uh, woman speaks 20,000 words a day. There's about a 3 to 1 ratio. So over nine months over nine months I'll just let that lie there over nine months uh, two million words that Zechariah did not say he couldn't express his thoughts and I don't know about you sometimes I, I work out ideas and thoughts by talking about things and six million words from his wife he didn't hear so a lot of words a lot of silence it was an involuntary silent retreat a curse as it were But God imposed this curse on Zechariah for a blessing. And though I want to focus on the song uh, this morning, this beautiful, theologically rich song. um, The new song that the saints of the Lord sing when they behold their salvation. I also want to think a moment before we get into the outline of the song about the singer, Zechariah. Luke is unique among the evangelists in that he begins with Zechariah. A faithful, righteous Israelite, a priest. Who we meet ministering in the temple. When the Messiah comes. Will he find faith in Israel? If he would find faith anywhere. It would be uh, religious people, right? Leaders in the temple doing their job. You you would hope that I'm being faithful right now. Not always the case. This is the highlight. Of Zechariah's priestly career. The high point. He had never prepared More. Probably one two week season in a whole a lifetime. He had never been more prepared, more purified, wearing special clothes, anointed. And yet, when the angel appears, he is unprepared. Now, Zechariah is a historical figure. We don't believe that, that Luke invented him. But when Luke tells the gospel story, he tells it in his own way. And God is the sovereign author of, of history. God wrote Zechariah into this story to teach us something that his evangelist Luke draws to our attention. I believe that Zechariah represents in a powerful way Israel's response to the gospel. Think of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9. How he wishes that his kinsmen, the Israelites, would come to know Christ. He wishes that he could be condemned that they might believe. So he longs to see Israel come to know their messiah. And Luke, we know, was a companion of Paul. And I think there's a very Pauline sense here in which Luke is is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Jewish gospel, the Old Testament Savior. And when Zechariah is dumb and deaf, has no ears to hear, no words to speak praise of his Savior, he in a powerful way represents Israel's response to the gospel. And so... Luke puts Zechariah in our spotlight this morning as an invitation to the Jews to recognize Christ as their Savior. Zechariah had much to ponder after the angel's first visit. He no doubt spent a lot of time thinking about what Gabriel said. He no doubt read about Isaiah, about the light shining in the darkness about Malachi, about the angel of the Lord coming suddenly to the temple, about the sunrise of righteousness, about the sending of Elijah who would go before the Lord to prepare a way for his coming. And when the question of the name of his son arises, he says emphatically, not, I name him John, but his name is John. There is no naming ceremony because the Lord the angel had already given this child a name. As the angel had said, he would be full of the spirit from the time of the womb of his mother. He already had a calling. And when his neighbors and relatives gasp and wonder, Zechariah hears them for the first time. We see um, kind of two paragraphs here. There's the paragraph of the birth of John, and then there's the paragraph of Zechariah's song. And both of these paragraphs start with the same verb fullness, fulfillment. Elizabeth's days are full. That's how the Greek says that she is ready to give birth. And Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke is repeating again and again and again the fulfillment of God's promises. And the Benedictus itself is a song that circles around the concept and the idea that our God is a covenant promise-making God and that his promises are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. This question, what then will this child be? There's been this stupendous birth. A deaf man starts hearing, starts speaking again after a long Long illness, as it were. Elderly people are having babies. This is a weird thing in any time, but certainly in the ancient world. After nine months of silence, Zechariah has an answer. It's known to the history of the church from its first word in the Latin, the Benedictus. And so let's turn now to this text. And it's interesting in that this really isn't a song that much about Christ, it's about the Lord. Blessed be the Lord God. Again, very much an Old Testament perspective. And most of the text is about the Lord. So we'll look at that first. And then he talks about John's calling as a prophet. And then he does finally close with faith in Christ. So, first, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. There are three themes that are repeated here. Um, the, The song begins and closes with the idea of visitation. He has visited and redeemed His people. And then at the end, we see that the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So God's visitation. And then salvation as the forgiveness of sins is another central theme. And in the very center of this poem, as we know, that the, the psalm often has its thesis statement in the center, is that God has remembered His covenant promises. So visitation, salvation, and God's remembering. Now the Benedictus begins with Zechariah blessing the Lord God of Israel. Uh, we need to remember that visitation in the Old Testament can be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, sort of like when your boss at work says, Hey, I want to remember when people used to go to work, but your boss at work says, Hey, I want to stop by your desk and ask, you know, talk to you this afternoon, and you sit there during your lunch break thinking, Well, is this good news or bad news? You know, am I in trouble or am I getting a raise? The Lord comes down and visits Adam and Eve in the garden. The Lord comes down and inspects and visits the Tower of Babel to see what's going on there. The Lord also visits His people when He hears their voice and they're crying out in bondage. He visits them to redeem them. The Word, the presence of the Lord is a double-edged sword. Visitation can be law or gospel, good or bad news. And in Zechariah, we see both of those things, right? Zechariah has received initially this word of the Lord from the angel in unbelief, and he's cursed with darkness and silence. And then, over time, this word has taken root and he comes to faith. Like every son of Adam, when Zechariah was in the temple, he had a guilty conscience. And he assumed this angel was coming to purify and to judge him. But the angel came with grace, a gift. That's what the name of John means, remember? God is gracious. As it turns out, Zachariah's lack of faith at this good news turned out to be bad news for him. Now, nine months later, Zachariah sees that the angel is announcing not judgment, that the Lord who John will be a prophet for, will prepare a way for, is coming in grace and mercy. what's happening here is what was envisioned as one event in the Old Testament, the judgment and salvation of God's people, is now split into two. And at the first coming of Christ, he comes in mercy. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horde of salvation. And the text here uses the language of, of doing or making. He has made redemption. He has done mercy in these opening verses. The Lord has done this remarkable thing. And, and Zechariah is speaking as though it has already happened. Because it is real to him. He's holding the forerunner in his hands. Yes, Christ has not yet been born. Yes, he's not yet redeemed us on the cross. But these promises, so long disbelieved, so long uncertain, have become real and concrete. This horn of salvation, the language of an offspring of David, raised up to deliver us from our enemies. And he already sees in the infant John, the full-grown, full-flowered Christ. He sees Christ who will make redemption for his sins. He sees a mighty deliverer. Now for uh, Zechariah, as well as for David, in our Old Testament passage, 2 Samuel uh, 7, the enemies that this deliverer defeats are flesh and blood bad guys. Maybe geopolitical. Goliath and the Philistines. uh, The uh, empires of Babylon and Assyria. Or in the people of Israel at Jesus' time, Greece and Rome. God's people had known generations of enmity, of warfare. Calvin actually says in his sermon on this text, that the sufferings of God's people in Calvin's day... Uh, shouldn't be compared to the sufferings of Old Testament saints. Calvin says these persecutions were so cruel that today's burnings by comparison are nothing. Today's burnings at the stake by comparison are nothing. Zechariah could be excused if he expected the Messiah to deliver the people from the oppression of those political rulers. And yet, We should make no mistake that this song is grasping already the spiritual power and force of the coming Christ. The one who is going to be destroyed here is the ancient foe, the serpent. Uh, Those Old Testament geopolitical powers were types and shadows of the spiritual warfare. We have the same foe. We might not feel like we uh, live in a a war-torn land. We might not feel like we're about to die from famine. We have so many rich blessings. I mean, look at this beautiful building we're in today. Flowers and decorations. The holidays are a time of abundance. And yet Jesus comes for all of us to save us from our sins. Satan wants you to think that you are fat and happy and you have everything you need. But he wants to take your life from you. He wants to crush you. Sin kills. And his aim is total destruction. And Jesus is the victor. He's conquered death. In the baby John, Zacharias sees already Jesus' victory over sin and death. Notice that the third time that he mentions salvation, that's the salvation he's talking about. He says to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of our sins. Brothers and sisters, the salvation, the deliverance Jesus brings to us is found in the forgiveness of our sins. We really should read this as the the knowledge of the salvation that is the forgiveness of sins. This is what we need to grasp. This is what we need the Holy Spirit in our hearts to realize that our greatest crying need is deliverance from our sins. Zechariah's folly as a priest in the temple was thinking that his own priesthood, that Israel's obedience, that their beautiful sanctuary, that their offerings, their, their rigid uh, keeping of, of the sacrificial law, that this was key to bringing God's kingdom. If we can only be holy enough, that was what the, the Pharisees strove for, right? Our problem is that God's judging us because we haven't followed his law. And so Zechariah as a priest thought if I could just serve God well enough that will bring salvation. But that was his sin. He thought that he was being through his service was bringing salvation. But this song flips that around. It says that through God's salvation we are freed to serve him without fear. We bring nothing He works salvation, that light which comes from above, from beginning to end. Zechariah, in a sense, is the first Israelite to be prepared by his son to receive Christ. And this song is his reception of the Christ. Zechariah realizes that he's not saved because he deserved it. He realized he was in the ideal place to receive the message of the angel. And he did not believe But where does his faith come from? So it's a visitation, and this visitation brings salvation. But where does it come from? It comes as a result of God's covenant promise to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Now, again, for us today, this might be somewhat old hat. We preach about God's covenant promises, especially uh, in this Reformed church, but in Protestant churches very often. But there are many times and places in the history of the Christian church where this basic insight has been lost. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made to our Old Testament fathers. And you could understand how the church of the first century, uh, the Jews could be very confused with all these Gentiles flooding in. What does the law not matter anymore? The law of circumcision, the law of our food. All these service acts that we have done, we thought that that's what it meant to be a good child of God. No, God's remembering His promises. This was the point all along, the forgiveness of your sins in Christ. A little irony here. Of course, there's no ironies in the Bible. That God's will and His Holy Spirit crafted this for us. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. Zechariah remembers here the meaning of His own name. The Lord has remembered His covenant promises. At the center of Zechariah's song is Zechariah. This theme of fulfillment runs throughout Luke's nativity. And as I said, it's, it's anchored here in this covenant promise to show mercy promised to our fathers. It's the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. God is merciful because he has promised mercy. He has promised mercy because that is who he is. God shows himself in the light of our fall into sin. As he is, merciful and just God. Remember what he says to Moses. His name is the Lord, the Lord a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who the God of the Bible is. He's a God of sinners. Remember the Lord says, I've had it with Israel. Let's just destroy them and Moses, I'll raise up a new nation from you. Moses, you can't do that. You made a promise. God's oath binds him. And that oath gives us confidence, brothers and sisters. It's not about our faithfulness. When we are faithless, God is faithful. He is the God of steadfast love. Now, notice what the Lord has promised. And this is so important, brothers and sisters. It's kind of... The whole song sometimes sort of reads like a run-on sentence. It's like clause after clause after clause. It's hard to like pause and and get a subject object, uh, a a clear grasp of, of the statements. But there is so much riches in here. Notice what the Lord has promised. To grant us that we, so to give us something, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. God delivered us for service we've been saved for service we don't serve for salvation <laughs> in holiness and righteousness before him all our days Zechariah thought that his two weeks of service in the temple was nine months in his past but he sings now that he's been freed from fear the fear that caused him to anoint himself and to put on his robes Luke likes to talk about the temple complex as like a A nuclear reactor. You have to cover up to be reactive so you can survive God's holiness. And Zechariah, in his Redeemer, sees that he's free from fear. And that his service is just beginning. We often describe our catechism as being in three parts. And we use the three G's. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. How great our sin is, how great God's deliverance is, and how we uh, can serve Him in gratitude. But there's another rubric here that people use sometimes. It's S instead of G sin, salvation, and service. How does He take away our fear? The comfort of assurance of salvation. We don't fear when we serve God that we'll make a step. that we'll serve Him poorly. That we won't measure up. My days of being a student. At least in a classroom are long behind me. But the fear. The butterflies you had on the test. How am I going to do? Am I going to pass? The standardized test. I want to get into law school. I'm going to sit for the bar. I'm going to take the LSAT. The MCAT. The GMAT. Whatever. There's none of that in the Christian life. He's passed the test for us. And we have assurance in Christ. It's interesting that, that service is here at the center of this song. Of course, Mary calls herself a servant of the Lord, right? Both Zechariah and Mary acknowledge their calling to serve. So I want to move now to the second broad point here, and much shorter. The prophet of the Most High. This brings us to John's calling. And you, child, verse 76. All prophets in the Old Testament are are called of the Lord. They're they're given a mantle. They're given a calling of service. Sometimes they're called up into the the heavenly court where the Lord commissions them and sends them out to carry his word to the ends of the earth. And here we see spirit-filled Zechariah, himself a prophet, as he's singing this song, extending the lifelong call upon the greatest, the last of all the Old Testament prophets. And the angel Gabriel had already described John's mission to Zechariah. And again, he'd had nine months to think about it. You will have joy and gladness, Gabriel had said. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He'll go as like a forerunner. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We have, I don't know who they are, but on the route from my home to church this morning, we pass two of those black SUVs with Maryland plates that sometimes you see in town. Right, where there's a, uh, someone who works in the administration or a high official who has security service. And as I was thinking about, about going before the Lord and preparing His way, I thought of, of the motorcades we all see in this town and we curse when we're running late somewhere because of the traffic they cause, right? But these cars go, go on ahead. and You think of in the ancient world before a king would come to a town, heralds going before him. Zechariah now welcomes the word of the Lord. He embraces the profound calling of his son because his son's there. He knows that the Lord is right behind him. The motorcade is barreling down the road. And he sings, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. So one of the questions is, is how? What does it mean to prepare the way? And, and this answers that question. I think Zechariah has stumbled upon the answer. He's been reading the scrolls, the Old Testament for months. He will give knowledge to his people of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. The emphasis here is the salvation of the Lord that is coming is not salvation from earthly powers. It's not salvation from want or from, uh, from famine or from enemies. Jews were looking for lots of kind of salvation and we have this problem too, right? There are a lot of things we think that if we had, our lives would be easier. We could have peace, we could rest. Zechariah says he's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. You sense here that Zechariah feels his sin on his own heart. His son has brought the knowledge of his sin to him. And the prayer, the praise here is that this is going to prepare all of Israel to look for the right kind of messiah. This forgiveness is accomplished through the tender mercy of our God. I I looked at a lot of different English translations to figure out what the heck tender mercy is. And it's hard. You can't really get away from tender mercy. Tender mercy, tender mercy. NIV, ESV, Old King James, everything. It's tender mercy. What the heck is tender mercy? The Greek says the compassionate mercy. and the, The Greek word for compassion... Linguistically, you can go wrong by doing this sort of thing. But it is a very physical word. It's the word for your guts. It's a word for a deep feeling. God's mercy is felt in a physical way. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that this very bodily, compassionate mercy is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Jesus. In the incarnation. God is perfect. There's no mercy. There's no love like it. He is a merciful God. But you know how we know God's mercy? When he adds humanity. To the person of his son. When he takes to himself human flesh. And Jesus Christ feels. Compassionate mercy for us. Do you have loved ones that are suffering? Going through a broken marriage. Maybe going through a tough time for their kids. Maybe in the hospital. It just tears you up inside. God took human flesh. That Christ could feel that way for us. That's who he died for. That's tender mercy. John's ministry... Is a preparation. What what is it? It, 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 He's a Baptist, right? That's obvious. And why does he baptize people? It's a ministry of repentance. He's calling Israel a bunch of sinners. (laughs) Luke will turn to this in chapter 3. And what are the first words out of his mouth? The crowds that came out to be baptized to him. What did the Baptist say? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's like, go back. There's no salvation for you. You're done for. You're toast. And he goes along in his ministry. Don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Your family ties aren't going to save you. God is able to save from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. So John's ministry prepares the way for Jesus by preaching the law. He says, you're a tax collector? Give all your money back. Don't collect too much taxes. You're this kind of person? You're a soldier? Do this. You're this? Look, you're... Wash yourself with baptism. But someone's coming after me. So this question, what will this child be? Who will he be? He's going to point the need for Christ. You see, that's why we need to hear God's law and His gospel. And in the gospel, in the pages of the gospel, these come in two persons. In the final Old Testament law, prophet... Warning of judgment to come. But also promising that one was coming who could make the people holy. That's why he baptizes in a Holy Spirit. He brings the holiness you need. So Zachariah had come to realize his sin and the sin of his people, the sin of his nation. And that human religion, human works, human ritual couldn't save. Only the Lord could save. And that brings us to our third closing uh, movement, as it were, of this song. The coming of the Lord is portrayed as a sunrise. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the way of peace. It seems like a, a pretty obscure Maybe flowery pretty reference to Jesus, but not a lot of substance. Almost seems like an afterthought to this song. And in a sense it is. This is an old testament perspective. Zachariah is thinking as an old testament priest, and all he knows is that a new day is dawning. When I think of sunrise, I think of a few things. If you can make it over to our house this afternoon, I'll tell you the story of the sailing trip uh, my wife and I went on before we were married with an absolute stranger. We went and got on a boat with a perfect stranger. Well, we talked to him on the phone once or twice, and we sailed out into the Pacific. And people got sick; there was vomit everywhere. Sorry, but somehow I ended up, you know, steering the ship all by myself. We were supposed to have teams. God, people got sick; it didn't work out. From from midnight till like six a.m., I stood watch. And, you know, it was an old boat. There was no railing behind me. I was thinking, if I fell over the back of this thing, I'm gone. Like, the boat just keeps going. <laughs> That's it, you know. But I remember the blackness of that light. And I remember the dawn. I don't think I ever remember a sunrise like that one. Because I, I just. And there's a, there's a proverb that I always think of. The path of righteousness is like the light of dawn. Which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You see the dawn and you wonder, is it? Is that, is that starting something? And, it just, and then it just grows. And it's so imperceptible, right? It just grows. And it, soon it's going to be the full sun. It's an amazing memory of a dawn. And I think of Zechariah singing about what he doesn't know. Something that's going to be more brilliant than he can imagine after that long dark night. The shadow of death. But then I think what this text is pointing us to is to that darkness of the Old Testament saints, to exile and sorrow and sadness, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And I think of a parent sitting by the bedside of their child, sick in the hospital through the night. The darkness of the shadow of death, or by a parent. It's dark. You just want to get through the night. You pray that God will answer your prayers. will hear you will bring healing. And he rises. Bringing salvation. And the forgiveness of sins to those who walk in the shadow of death. We all walk in the shadow of death, brothers and sisters. We will all encounter in our lives sooner or later a dark night. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shown. Isaiah, Malachi, but for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Healing. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. John says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But Zechariah realized the gift of his silence was how dark he was apart from Christ. How much he needed this Savior from above. He needed to be born from above by the Spirit of God. Zechariah, free to speak again, is born again through the Holy Spirit. He has recognized his own darkness. And may we be convicted of our sin in this Christmas season. Not for sorrow's sake, not for sadness' sake, not to be grim, but to rejoice, to truly rejoice at the dawning of the new eternal day. Let's pray. Merciful God, our sins rise up before us. We need to hear the Baptist reminding us that we can be a brood of vipers. But we thank you for the bright light of day, that Jesus Christ took human flesh, that he could suffer in that flesh for us, That he could feel compassion for his brothers and sisters. And that he could welcome us and make us as children of God. Born not of the will of the flesh or of the works of our hands. But born of God as children. Like after the image of our elder brother Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.